Thank you, everyone. It's good to see everyone. Roddy Buddhist here. Uh, it's good to be back, and uh, I'm glad that everyone is in are enjoying the podcast. I just want to take a minute to ask you for your assistance and hopefully gratitude of uh, this uh, these recordings. Now, I appreciate everyone uh, supporting, and I really want to thank all the people that have become donors. So if you want to become a donor, please do. Uh, we could use all the support we need. Uh, also, if you wish to send any questions and or if you'd like to donate through our PayPal account to Enkyoji Temple, you can do that through seattlebuddhist at hotmail.com. And another way of showing gratitude, if you're unable to do those, is just to share the information. Uh, the more people we can get out there, that's part of the idea of Ofuse is giving. Uh, the first paramita, the sixth paramita that we're discussing, and giving people the Dharma. Because again, you never know when people receive the gift how it will change your life. Because there's a good saying that we're always one step, uh, one idea, one thought, one behavior away from changing our lives. Hopefully for the best. So we we should be give people this precious gift. Alright, so let's get to it. Um, the second paramita in this situation is actually called shila. Uh, in Japanese, it's jikai, which actually they say is a ethics or morality. However, it has a, a feeling. And as I said, the first one was gratitude. This one is discipline. Okay? And I'm going to go into understanding that I've learned about it because... Like most people, uh, it's very generic. People give you this list all the time and tell you, here's this great list of the Mahayana practice, and this is the way to enlightenment, because you can see your last goal is, of course, liberation, right? Samadhi, or Satori. And that doesn't really direct people. I mean, it's really wonderful. Um, Again... We need a good guide in order to share, share with us. So today I'm going to share with you some of my understanding and, and the way that I've uh, been able to uh, understand it within context of my practice. Okay, That's what I'm trying to do with these podcasts. So the idea of morality. Now again, as you can listen to the last segment, when we enter Buddhism, we have to have gratitude. Uh, gratitude is something that usually is spawned on because a lot of people don't understand the strength of our founders. So, for instance, listening to the story of the Buddha or listening or learning about the story of our founder Nichiren and Shonen, those are ways that we can learn gratitude because when we see somebody ha- who has attained something and has, become, and has uh, learned, especially the meaning of life and, and are on a path, the one thing that we should naturally feel is gratitude, appreciation, arigatai, we say in Japanese. But it's, it's, it's a deep appreciation of thank you, thank you. Just like somebody who has saved your life from drowning. That's the feeling we should feel when we see the Buddha. That's the true idea of gratitude. Thank you, thank you. And, and it's not a subservient thank you. So I'm not saying... You know, when I say it like that, it sounds like people saying in the church, thank you, thank you. But in a way, what we're doing is saying, thank you to the Buddha for your life. Thank you for your teaching. We appreciate it. Uh, we acknowledge it, and it, it has helped us. So we have a natural gratitude to those who really, truly help us. 
if you don't have gratitude, that's why that is so important. If you haven't felt anything, if you don't have that connection with our founders, uh, you know, that's the idea of a guide. That's one of the first important things that's supposed to happen. And sometimes that can be manifested through a living being, such as a guide or a guru, a teacher. Because when we meet somebody who deeply affects or impacts our life, uh, our, feel, our true nature should is gratitude, the way we appreciate people for saving our lives. So the second, second paramita is, as we said, disciplined precepts. But when we think of precepts, when I started Buddhism, I have to tell you, the idea of precepts, I, of course, as a Westerner, took it as, as we do, like perhaps commandments, right? God says, thou shall not, right? However, the precepts are not a rule being put down just to put down rules. Now, that's an interesting thing, because it, it, even though the Buddhist Sangha, if you look at a lot of the Theravada schools and even Mahayana schools, they have precepts. When I was a, when I was a monk, we had to take uh, so many precepts for every part of our life. But the purpose of those precepts are different. And this is what I want to share with you. Because it's not precepts as this is the rule of a deity, right? However, these precepts are the rule of the community. So this is the big aspect. And this may not be a big thing to you, but actually to me it was one of those aha moments. Because usually you would reflect on yourself, like, okay, the precepts are so that I'm a good person, that I do what is right according to the divine or, or the great teaching. But, Actually, the, the, the purpose of the precepts are for the community, for others, the interaction between others. That's what it's for in Buddhism. Because actually, the Buddha didn't really want to make rules, because rules aren't going to necessarily allow you to attain enlightenment, right? Enlightenment is a natural occurrence through practice, through dhyana, through meditation, right? However, in order to practice meditation properly, within a community, with a guide, with a teacher, you know, once you have that gratitude, then what we need to do is temper that through an understanding. So one of the great things I was realizing, because, you know, again, I do life coaching and that, is in mentoring, which is what a guide is, the understanding between the two parties has to be clear of what is expected, right? Mm -hmm. And what kind of behavior is expected. Uh, what are the rules of the society between us? That's the important part of it. So the Buddha didn't make rules just to make rules. Okay, and rules in themselves are not enlightenment. There are some schools that believe just by following the precepts specifically and concentrating, of course, you will become an upright person. But to gain clarity, just like if you just memorize all the Buddhist sutras, that's not necessarily where you're going to get the proper clarity. You may, there are of course benefits to doing all of those things. However, just doing regular meditation as opposed to proper meditation, uh, of course will bring about different effects. But ultimately our goal should be clarity or insight or uh, awakening, satori. And the precepts are for the community. This really blew me away because here I looked at it from a Western point of view that, oh, the precepts are, are, are rules, just like commandments for myself, and that if I understand and practice these precepts specifically, I, that is, that's going to get me somewhere. But as you can see, these are preparations for correct enlightenment, and, and it helped me to understand, to correct meditation, 
because enlightenment comes out of meditation, correct meditation, that it took me a long time in order to understand, and that happened with first uh, the Makashika, which is a master Tiantai or Ji's, uh, Jiri's uh, teaching. So basically what he was saying is that all of the preparation, and they call it the 25 preparations for practicing meditation, means that in order to have the proper Buddhist meditation for our Buddhist uh, goal, right, which in uh, Nichiren Buddhism we say is kanjin, to see clearly, which allows us to see clearly our mind and then be able to realize through clarity, that has to do with proper meditation. And you can't practice proper meditation if you are, first of all, if you yourself are ill, which we'll go into the next one after this, the next Paramita, which talks about ourselves. But you can't also do it because you, you have a community that has to be in harmony as well, a community, a harmony with others, right, with nature. So it's really fascinating. And one of my teachers, you can take a moment to take a look, it's called the Eight Limbs of Yoga. So although people may not understand the connection, the Buddha, as I stated in previous lectures, it was a yogi, a guru. Uh, hence the word uh, Muni, Shakamuni Buddha. And because of that, there are in India uh, schools of Buddhism. And if you look at it, it's very similar because Buddha came out of those practices. If you take a look at the eight limbs of yoga, this is really interesting because the first limb is called yama. And yama, again, means precepts. These are the rules for interacting with others. Because the first thing before we start looking into ourselves, especially if we join a community, if you're practicing by yourself, this wouldn't apply. However, in the Mahayana, we have to include others, right? So solitary practice will take you so far, but actually the Mahayana, because our goal is the Bodhisattva way, by entering the Bodhisattva way, which we can physically enter in this life, we can see that the enlightenment of the Buddha exists, right? We can gain clarity into it while we're alive. That the idea with Agama was that the first limb was simply to understand your interaction with others. Because, again, this is where one of the practices I see they disconnect all the time, especially in Nichiren Buddhism. People don't believe they have to be part of a Sangha. And, of course, it's in our nature, as I said, as Americans, perhaps, because that's all I can speak about, is that we love our independence, right? But, again, to be a Buddhist, to part, be a part of Buddhist culture, we need to be part of a Sangha. We need to have a guide. Because, other than that, we're practicing uh, practice for self, and you'll never go beyond self. You may have insights, but it'll be very challenging. Okay, especially in the Dharma ending age, where we're more confused, more uh, arrogant, more ignorant, right? So therefore, and the teachings are very difficult to disseminate, especially coming from another culture. If we look at it for, through our own culture, right, and try to understand Buddhism rather than becoming part of Buddhist culture and making it our own, we'll misunderstand it. That's this real misunderstanding of the idea of the precepts. Um, and so, when somebody wears a kesa, the robe of the Buddha, it symbolizes to other people that they are a part of the sangha, of the community, and that they observe the same morality, or as we say, discipline, as the others. And that's, that's really important, because again, it comes down to one's own discipline. 
Now, I went into them in much more detail in the previous podcast, so you can always take a look at that. However, I'll just go through what the basic five precepts are. First is refraining from taking life. Second is refraining from taking what is not given. Third is uh, refrain from misuse of the senses or sexual misconduct. Fourth is refraining from wrong speech. And five is refraining from intoxicants that cloud the mind. This is a, this is really interesting because again, uh, you know, in order to have a relationship with your teacher, you need to first of all know that through conversation and through practice, you have the general understanding of not taking life. So that means you mustn't react with violence. Do you see where I'm getting at? Because how many times have you interacted with somebody that challenges you? And most of us in modern society, uh, or in general, use the emotion of anger, which is violence, which is actually uh, the precursor for taking life. So therefore, we make the agreement that we will not engage in that behavior, right? Second one, and this is important, is taking, taking what is not given. This is really fascinating because, again, if you look at it as perspective of yourself, it's like, I shouldn't steal stuff. But when you look at it in connection, especially we as Buddhists, so the Buddhist culture, with a guide and a community, what does that mean, taking what is not given? What it means is that you don't take what the teacher hasn't given you. If you understand what I'm saying, because a lot of times, this is, again, a problem with modern Buddhism, and lots of information online, people pretend that they understand something that they haven't realized. So therefore, they share that delusion with other people. They uh, believe that, I, I sincerely believe that they think they understand. Or they've just given up and they, because of unfortunate circumstances, they rely simply on their way. Which again is a very destructive and dangerous way. And so therefore, taking what is not given means stealing from the teacher. Stealing these uh, ideas without practicing or properly understanding them. Because you can steal from Buddhism. I want you to think about that. Uh, have you stolen from Buddhism, perhaps? That's interesting. Then next is misuse of the senses or sexual misconduct. Usually, again, in the West, we have a big problem with sexuality. So, sexual misconduct is what they always verify or comment on, Right? Don't do this. And again, it, it kind of takes you almost back to a puritanical idea. Because again, in Buddhism, you know, sex isn't the problem because sex is part of creation. But what happens is that how people misuse sex, and Master Tantai specifically says this in the yogic practice, misusing sex, misusing your senses can cause one to not to lose the benefit of, of, of meditation, dhyana, concentration, and not be able to enter properly. Because again, the idea of the guide is so that you can enter dhyana or concentration properly. We use our senses incorrectly. That means when we use our senses for something other than the practice of Buddhism. It's pretty severe if you think about it. How many times during the day do you misuse your senses? And that doesn't necessarily mean thinking bad or seeing bad things or anything like that. Of course, we have the idea of karma, you know, the conceptualized idea that if we do something and we use our senses, we, we bring it into our body. 
we manifest it, we, we take it in. As uh, Master Chantai says, it's markings. Like you're wearing a white shirt and rubbing against dirty cars. And of course, sexuality is one of the very big challenges for most people. So that's why they specifically state that. But sexual misconduct, as I stated before in Buddhism, has to do with a power differential. Uh, that one, usually, if one is truly a practitioner of Buddhism, uh, and everything that they do is interacting in the in the guise of Buddhism, that anything that we would do, because again, if we're wearing the robe of the Buddha, and we're practicing the path of the Buddha, and especially if we're talking about, so I'll have rules with people, that if somebody is a men- member of the Sangha, those relationships are not proper, because it's it's as if you're incest with your own family. Because it's it's that close within the sangha, and again, uh, it's it's it can be abuse, not just for teachers but also for sangha members. Because if the sangha is a safe place, just like these agreements, that's why it says specifically sexual misconduct, because it's very easy to cloud and misunderstand uh, emotional and physiological reactions that people have when somebody is nice to them. It's like somebody being abused. And just somebody being nice to them because they've never experienced it allows themselves to open themselves up. But also, if the person who is given that trust is not proper in their morality, in their shila, their jikai, then they'll abuse that. And I've seen it happen lots of times in the sangha. So people sometimes fight against me in saying, well, what if I meet my future wife in the sangha, etc. like that. Well, I refer them back to Buddhism. And then next is uh, refraining from wrong speech. What that means is clear communication. Clear communication with your guide. Clear communication with the Sangha. That means not saying what isn't true, as you know it to be true. And and again, as we gain clarity and, and we understand more aware within our mind, you know what's going on. So a lot of times, you know... Uh, people in the practice won't admit something that they did incorrect, right? They won't admit their true mind. They're always holding back. Well, with a guide and with Buddhism, if you hold back, that's the ego holding back. And so you want to think about it that way, that wrong speech isn't just what you necessarily say knowingly to other people. It's also what you hold back within the community because the community is supposed to be uh, a safe place, in which people have the same mindset to cultivate. So therefore, one of the big parts, which is interesting about Buddhism, which people don't really understand, is the idea of atonement. Which they say repentance, but repentance is a little loaded for me. But in the Buddhist idea of repentance or atonement means that when somebody has a misconduct, just like breaking any of these precepts, they have to tell the truth to the Sangha, the community. And, and, And... and tell people and show people. And it's not confession where you're releasing people from karma because we don't have the power to do that. What it does is that it brings back balance to the community because of behavior, of your behavior. And this comes down to consideration of others, which most practitioners of Buddhism do not have, which is always surprising to me because that gratitude part, the first part, the first thing that my Buddhist teacher taught me was appreciation of others, consideration which is something that basic human understanding people don't have. So that's why you have to be very careful with the idea of wrong speech. And then uh, next is uh, the 
refraining from intoxicants that cloud the mind. So it's a, this is an interesting point. You know, a lot of times we have we have this very dualistic, very severe, obviously not the middle way in, in the West, you know, where for some people they they don't believe in alcohol, okay? And of course, you know, whether you whether you uh, engage in any of these things, it's clouding the mind, just so you know. So cl- kill, taking life is clouding the mind. Stealing is clouding the mind. Misuse of senses, wrong speech, all clouding the mind. So it doesn't mean that you're taking a drink. It's interesting because a lot of times people think, well, if I just don't drink, that's, that's a Buddhism. Or if I don't do this or I don't do that. Well, that, that's not Buddhism. What Buddhism is, is not a set of rules. It's a realization. And it comes down to consideration. Because we should know how alcohol and other things affect and cloud our senses. Because I'll tell you something, ego clouds senses much more often. So when you want to talk about addicts, there's more ego addicts than there are alcoholics. Because there are so many around in the world. Now, with the idea of alcohol, very important to understand that even Master Tiantai says... You know, alcohol is like a medicine. All these things in the world that are given to us are medicine. It's how we, as beings, use that. Okay? So, that's an interesting point. Because we, of course, in a very puritanical idea, demonize certain things, right? Even narcotics, drugs. You know, there are plants. In some cultures, even medicinal. But the way that people use it is, of course, to cloud the senses, which is, of course, the concept of addiction. So we have to be careful. And this is, again, getting out of the puritanical mind. Because if you want to be a Puritan, you can do that. You can buy the hat and the shoes and all that. But actually, if you want to be a Buddhist, you have to understand it within the context. Look at it between the the guide relationship and the community. The guide would be, obviously, you uh, refrain from when you're with the guide when you're with the practice, that you're not clouded in your mind. That you're giving 100% of what you got. Because what is our goal again? Kanjin, clarity, to see things as they are, as it is, jiso. And that if we cloud the mind, and intoxicants doesn't necessarily mean things you ingest. Intoxicants can be politics. Intoxicants can be money. Uh, intoxicants can be TV. Any kind of stimulation that is abused because you're using it to get out of really practicing the path. So it's saying, be your real, come to practice, come to your teacher with the real authentic self so we can work on you. All right, that's the agreement. But if you don't bring your authentic self into the community, ultimately that uh, negativity, that ignorance, greed, hatred, ignorance, will transfer into the community and cause the community to break. There's, you haven't realized how many times that I see, just through the, the, the behavior of individuals who, you know, have this puritanical way of thinking, instead of regulating and understanding themselves, almost in a way, and, and I see it all the time here, of people with their uh, indignation towards other people, their judgment. They, you know, you have this really great big judgment, of course, which is polarized by politics, where people just think that they're that they know what is right. But we as Buddhists look, should look beyond that and not be intoxicated by the external. This is another important concept. 
not looking outside, but looking inside. Buddhism is always pointing inside because that's where the dhyana is attained through correct meditation. And when we understand how to properly use the precepts, right? Morality, and as we said, discipline, then we can be able to have a relationship with a guide, have a relationship with a community. That's when we can practice Buddhism. So I really want you to take a look at yourself. And, and again, this is just reflection and understanding, well, wait a second, maybe I'm doing that. And then to, to reassess, according to what I said, with Buddhist values, okay? Be very careful and mindful. And that's why mindfulness is so important. It's so easy to fall into cliches. Or as one person has said, you know, most people are just replaying the same tape recorder. And sometimes that's what culture is. It's just playing the same tape over and over and over with all these cliches and, and you know, ideas, etc. That, you know, are fine, but we need to be able to distinguish that we're Buddhists. So a lot of times you should ask yourself when you're talking about discipline, who are you? Are you a practitioner of Buddhism? Are you Buddha's disciple? Or are you a regular person? It's a big difference. Big difference. And that's what the concept of discipline allows us to see. Okay, so I hope all of you are full of gratitude and I hope all of you uh, find correct discipline so that we, as we go through the six paramita, understand how we move forward to the correct meditation, the correct seeing, observation of reality, uh, which is amazing. And we all thank the Buddha for his uh, great fortitude and compassion towards us, wisdom and compassion. So I thank you all for another great discussion. I hope this uh, helped you. If you uh, would like, please send me any questions to seattlebuddhist.hotmail.com if you have any topics you'd like to talk about. And also, again, uh, we'd appreciate any ofuse or dana or charity towards our sangha. Uh, our sangha only runs on the support of other people, and we make great efforts to uh, share as much as we can and teach everyone who comes to our door. All right, so thank you again. Namu myoho renge kyo. Take care.